Uh, we're going to read from the scriptures, Luke chapter 10, and we're turning to the verse 25, and we're going to read through to verse 37. Luke chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 25 through to verse 37. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's hear God's word. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he Willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. And took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this evening is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 right through to verse 37. And I've entitled the subject tonight, The Truth About the Good Samaritan. Now, this is the third time during a 22-year ministry here in Cardiff FPC that I have preached on this subject. Now, this parable was prompted by a certain lawyer asking the Lord Jesus a question. Look at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a very good question. You'll agree with me. It's a grand theme, eternal life. It's a most important question. In other words, he wanted to know what he had to do to get to heaven. 
Now, this lawyer, young people, boys and girls, was not a person who works in a fancy office in London or in Belfast or any other city. This man wasn't a lawyer who was helping people with their need for a very large fee, for lawyers, of course, are very expensive. No, this lawyer in the Bible was a member of a very strict religious group of Jews. He was a man who gave us time and attention to the studying of the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, he wanted to know what the law of God said and taught. And he was a man in his own estimation, because he was a lawyer, an expert in the field of Jewish law and tradition. Now let me tell you something else about this man. This man hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sought to oppose all that Christ stood for and taught in his day and generation. Notice the deceit in the question. Look at verse 25. It says, and tempted him. You see, the man wasn't sincere in this grand, great, important question that he asked. This man wasn't after the truth. This man was possessed with a spirit of evil. He had an ulterior motive. He was trying to entrap Christ. He was tempting Christ to try and get him to say something that would undermine this expert's interpretation of the law so he would have something against Christ in relation to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now also, this man in his own doctrine, he believed in salvation by works. Notice the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life. The emphasis is on the word do. The emphasis is on his doing. See, this man believed that he could earn salvation by good works and go to heaven. That if he did enough good things, that he would make it through the pearly gates. However, his plan to entrap Christ didn't work. Because the Lord Jesus turned the question in him. Christ asked, what is written in the law? Verse 26. How readest thou? And of course the man answered. And in his answer he quoted two Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 6 and 5. And he quoted from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Two Old Testament scriptures that taught love to God and love to your neighbor. Look at verse 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. And... Thy neighbor as thyself. He was quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18, as I've said. And the Lord Jesus told him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. In other words, the Lord Jesus was emphasizing the great truth about loving God perfectly with a sinless heart, with all the strength and all the mind and all the power and ability that one had. And also then to perfectly and sinlessly love your neighbor as yourself. And of course that's the only ground and confidence that you could have eternal life. Is for an individual man or woman to perfectly love God and to love his neighbor as himself. Now, this man knew in his heart and mind that his talk didn't match his walk. This man knew that, humanly speaking, he was a walking failure. 
He knew in his conscience that he was a notorious hypocrite, for he didn't love God perfectly and sinlessly with all his uh, uh, heart and soul and, uh, and strength and mind. He knew that he didn't love his neighbor as uh, uh, himself perfectly or sinlessly. So he then asked the Lord Jesus another question. And the question was this, who is my neighbor? You can read that there in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now let me emphasize something very carefully. The Lord Jesus Christ is not teaching salvation by works here. The Lord Jesus was trying actually to get this individual man to confess his sin and see his need of Christ and salvation. This man knew, as I've said, that he didn't love God perfectly or sinlessly. This man knew that he didn't love his fellow man perfectly nor sinlessly. So willing to justify himself, he then asked this question, who is my neighbor? Now, let me tell you something else about the man. This man had a narrow view of who his neighbor was. He already knew the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? See, he believed that his neighbor was only his fellow Jews that were in his group among the lawyers, among the scribes, among the Pharisees. It excluded all Gentiles. It especially excluded the Samaritans. And it excluded the stranger. Nobody else was included. And he'd have used Old Testament scriptures about hating them that hate the Lord to exclude the Gentiles and exclude the Samaritans and exclude the stranger. But the Lord Jesus knew what was in his heart. So we told then, in follow-up to this question, who is my neighbor, this story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the word parable isn't mentioned. But we're calling it tonight, as the scholars do, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this parable is one of the most misunderstood parables in the whole of the Bible. Because the fundamental question is this, what is its main purpose? Why did Jesus tell the story? What does it actually mean? Is it just about an illustration of being a good neighbor? Is the main purpose just to show neighborliness, to show kindness and goodness to others? And the answer tonight is no. Now that's how some people use it. Individuals, organizations, certain churches, even some preachers have used this parable to exhort people to display loving random acts of kindness, used it to tell individuals to help those who are less well-off and less fortunate as yourself, and everyone that you come across providentially that has a need in your path, do your best to help them. For example, President Franklin Dwight Roosevelt used the parable in his augural address, and this is what he said, I would dedicate the nation to the policy of the Good Samaritan. In other words, I want the United States of America to be a nation and the citizens of the nation to show compassion and kindness and love and care to everyone who is needy. 
But let me tell you tonight, that's not the point of the story. Down through the ages, many things have been said about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that liberals use this to teach liberalism? The socialists use it to teach socialism. The Marxists use it to teach Marxism. Certain higher critics of Jesus Christ and the Bible and salvation say that the parable of the Good Samaritan is an allegory. The man that was beaten up, they say that that's Adam. Jerusalem, they say, is paradise. Jericho is a cursed world. The thieves are hostile demonic powers. The priest, he represents the law. The Levite, the prophets. The wounds represent human suffering. The inn represents the church. The donkey represents the Lord's body. The Samaritan's return represents the second coming. And the two pennies that he gave to the innkeeper represents baptism and the Lord's Supper. You see, I agree with John Calvin when he said that allegorical teaching is absolutely bizarre. Because it's missing the point. There is no secret hidden meaning here that can be mystically and allegorically discerned. Other Individuals use the parable of the Good Samaritan to talk about alleviating poverty, about the redistribution of wealth. You'll hear a little more about that in the Great Global Reset next week. Others use it to teach simply, as I've said, being a good neighbor, about social justice, to consider the millions in poverty, those that are dependent on food banks, those that live in benefits, those that have financial monies. There are even some others who are calling for what they say is the reform of the Jericho Road. Help people who are suffering by being kind and sacrificial. Now, I'm setting all those individual things to the one side. I believe tonight in being a good, kind neighbor, to helping those in need, I believe in showing love to my neighbor. But that's not the main point of the story. See, you've got to remember this. The Lord Jesus is dealing with one individual. He's dealing with one man personally. The man's a lawyer. He's asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's asked the subsequent follow-up question, who is my neighbor? And the Lord Jesus, I believe, is on an evangelistic mission. He wants the man to sense his sin, to see his lost estate. He wants this man to realize how much he needs God's great salvation. You see, the, the man who fell among thieves is a picture of every sinner. The good Samaritan, whoever he was, and he's nameless, is a powerful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who lavishes unconditional love on sinners, who's willing to come uh, on the basis of Limitless love to help and heal individual sinners. And, and the deliverance of this man is a wonderful picture of God's salvation. See, remember the question that the Lord Jesus, or the lawyer asked the Lord Jesus, who is my neighbor? By telling this story, the Lord Jesus changed the question. It's not verbally changed, but it's changed. And here was the question to the man at the end. Now, which of these 
Three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy in him. And you see, the Lord Jesus was asking this man, ask yourself this question, not who is my neighbor, but am I neighborly like this good Samaritan, even to lavish love undeserved on my enemy? Do I love without limits? Do I love unconditionally? You see, it's a powerful illustration of the gospel. That's the main point of the story. Four things very, very quickly. I have to be quick. Think of a traveler on a journey. Look at verse 30. Notice what it says. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Notice the words, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Jericho road is a very dangerous road. And it was a common experience in those days for men to be robbed in this road. The road is 15 to 20 miles long, 17 miles really as the crow flies from Jerusalem. And in the middle, there's a big uh, rugged, rocky pass. uh, and, And part of that road has become known to this day as the way of blood or red road. Because everybody who traveled in that road, especially those that were alone, were taking their life in their own hands. And many, of course, and it was the experience of many in the days of Jesus, had fallen among thieves on the road. Notice the word down. Down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You see, the man had to go down geographically. Jerusalem's 2,500 feet above sea level. And Jericho was 600 feet below sea level. And if you were traveling in a bus down that windy road on the cliff edge, thinking that the wheels are going to drop off into a precipice, you would be scared. But to get from Jerusalem, to go to Jericho, you have to go down. You're down geographically. I'll tell you something else. The man was going down spiritually. Because Jerusalem's the holy city, place where the temple's located, representing the Shekinah glory of the Lord, representing the place of the shed blood, representing the place of sacrifice in the priesthood. Did you know that Jericho in the Bible, beautiful city, lovely place, but it's emblematic of the curse. Over there in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. It's a curse to the Lord. And in Joshua 6 and 26, And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be The man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth this city, Jericho, he shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. And over there in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, we read, In his days did Hiel the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub. According to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. In other words, the man who built this city again after the Lord had destroyed it, his firstborn was going to die, and his youngest son would die before he finished the city. Do you get the picture? Not only down spiritually, but down experimentally. This was a terrible experience for this man. And I want to tell you tonight, and I want to press it home, it describes the spiritual state of all men. 
the man fell among thieves. It's a picture of all who have fallen from the fallen Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden down to the present time. Remember, we're all on a journey, the journey of life. Psalm 83, sorry, Psalm 58 and 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb, speaking lies as soon as they're born. Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, it's a picture of people with their back to God, going down from God in a, a literal, spiritual, experimental way. And their face is not towards heaven, but their face is toward the place of the curse. And as I've said, it's a picture of men today. Think of the roughness of these thieves. They, they weren't just petty thieves. They were haters of men. They were men of violence and blood. They attacked his wealth. They attacked his wardrobe. They took his clothes. They attacked his well-being. They beat him until they left him half dead. And young people, that's what sin does. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, because sin is a robber. Sin will rob you of dignity. Sin, remember, is the transgression of the law. And the Bible says, whoso committeth sin is the servant of sin. You think of young people and they start out and they work and they uh, go into the pub and the drink fascinates them at the start. But the publican doesn't tell you you'd end up an alcoholic. And how many have ended up alcoholics through the consumption of alcohol? And think of those young people who've been at a party and they've taken some substance, some drug, uh, maybe uh, mistakenly or, or, or whatever because they feel under pressure. And it turns out to be madness because it, it's fatal for them as far as their body is concerned. You see, sin will leave you wounded. That's the point tonight. Just as these thieves left this man wounded, that's what sin and Satan does. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And, and sin will not do you any good. It will pull you down. It will take all your strength because there's a perverseness. There's a menace about sin. It leaves you in a powerless, pathetic state. Leaves you dead. The Bible talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. And that's the true state and condition of all men who are traveling along and alone on the journey of life. None to guard them, none to guide them. Life independent of the Lord. And if you're living independent of the Lord, this is what sin will do. It'll bring you down and it will rob you of your dignity. It will leave you wounded. Think not only of the traveler and the journey, but think of the treatment of the Jews. You see, the story unfolds. This man, think of him lying half dead in this red um, road in, in the middle. This rugged, um, ragged uh, incline where these thieves have been hiding. And a priest and a Levite, representing, of course, the Jewish religion, passed by. Historians tell us that around this time there were something like uh, 12 hundred Jewish priests and Levites lived in Jericho. Notice verse 31, it says, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. See, the priest represents salvation by religion. Didn't go near the man. And a Levite, we read, 
And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. The Levite represents salvation by rules. Do this, do that, do another thing. It's legalistic. And both of these men failed this man who had fallen among thieves. Because both exhibited a hardness toward the man. Both the priest and the Levite provided no help. Do you know why? Because they showed no love. And they showed no true compassion. The Levite was curious. More curious than the priest. But not compassionate. Why? Because there was a hardness in their heart. You see, remember they had narrow limits of who their neighbor was. They were Jewish, like the lawyer. The priest was a priest in the Jewish religion. The Levite was his helper in the sacrificial worship of the temple. They didn't believe that the Gentiles were their neighbors or the Samaritans. They didn't believe in showing love and compassion to the stranger. They didn't even show love and compassion to other Jews that they considered uh, to be sinful apostate Jews. They felt under no obligation to help. You see, they knew the law. And these two men were self-centered, showed little compassion and love for a broken man. And I want to tell you tonight, that's what religion does. That's what rules do. They don't help because they don't show love and compassion enough to meet the need. What you need is Christ. What you need is Christ's wonderful salvation. You need to be loved by Christ and helped by Christ. You need to be redeemed by his blood and born of the Spirit. Let me tell you this little story. I've told you this before. I want you to think of a woman in the 1890s. She's dying in London. She's a young woman. She's very ill, near the door of death. And she has no money for the doctor. You had to pay for the doctor in those days. You still have to do down in the Irish Republic. But her husband had left her. She's only one daughter. She said to the daughter, I want you to get me a minister and I want you to ask for his help. This wee girl left the home and went to a fashionable church in London. She spoke to the minister. He happened to be coming out to lock up the church at that time. And she pleaded for his help. The minister said, well, if your mum's dying, she needs a doctor. And the wee girl says, well, we don't want the doctor. We, we want the minister. Please come. So, so the minister, as he come with the little girl, thought, but I have no message for a dying woman. You see, he, of course, had been brought up in a good home with saved parents. But at this time, he was a modernist. He was a liberal. He preached religion. He preached rules, but I can't tell the woman to be religious. I can't tell the woman to obey these rules because they're not going to work. The woman's dying. I believe in salvation by works. I believe in keeping the Ten Commandments. But on his way, he remembered John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He got in and he spoke to the woman and she took his hand in her frail hand and said to the man with very low muttering voice could you teach me the way to heaven and he remembered just as she said that the way to heaven Isaiah 53 verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray 
We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he said to the woman, as he remembered it from Sunday school, Go in at the first stall, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And come out at the second, the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. See your sins laid in Jesus. And that liberal modernist, this is true, led her to Christ. The woman died in peace. The minister and the wife took pity on the little girl. She was a small little girl and she was an orphan. And they brought her to live with them in the manse and brought her up as one of their own. The next Sunday he stood up in church, fashionable, modernist, liberal church in London, and he told the story. And you know what he told the congregation? How he got the woman in, go in at the first stall and come out at the second stall. And he said, you know, when the woman was getting in at the first stall, I get in too. And when the woman came out at the second stall, I come out as well. You see, religion and rules, it's about Christ. And that was the treatment of the Jews to this man who had fallen among thieves. Notice very quickly, the truth about Jesus. You see, I have no doubt that this uh, Samaritan or or this uh, lawyer got a shock whenever the Lord Jesus spoke of the existence of Of a Samaritan. Because you see the Samaritan to the Jew was looked upon as an enemy. As an evil blight in the world. But I believe something tonight. Listen to me quickly. That the Samaritan is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus. This Samaritan showed and displayed lavish unconditional love. To a man who had fallen among thieves. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus does for us in the journey of life. I see Christ here in an unusual way. I'm amazed that J.C. Ryle doesn't. But I see Christ here. Think of the coming of Christ. Does not what the Bible tells us, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I see the contempt for Christ here because this Samaritan was despised by the Jews. He was held in contempt by this lawyer, shocked when he heard it. A Samaritan? He's an unclean dog. Did you know that they called the Lord Jesus a Samaritan? Part of a Mongol race? John 8, verse 48. Thou art a Samaritan. It was being derogatory to Christ. Thou hast a devil. The Lord Jesus knew that the Samaritans rejected as individuals. And the Lord Jesus was rejected by his fellow Jews as a true Jew. The Bible says he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A real true man. A man of flesh and blood. A man who, who men hid their face from. Wouldn't it be awful if somebody seen you coming and wouldn't look in your direction? Pulled the hoodie up or, or turned their face away? Well, Christ was hated. Christ was despised like that. This lawyer despised Christ. He had tempted him with this first question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Think of the compassion of Christ. The Samaritan, it says, when he saw him, had compassion in him, verse 33. That's a strong word. 
It means intense feeling and pity. It's only used 12 times in the gospel, 11 of them in reference to Christ. And the Samaritan here, I believe, represents Christ in his compassion and love. The Lord Jesus is the one who's loathed by sinners, and yet he loves the sinners. We read God as love. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for us. But God commended his love toward us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It all begins with the coming of Christ, despite his contempt, to, to show love and compassion. You see, rules and religion has a lack of compassion. They, 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 they can justify a lot because they've got a hard heart. But in spite of falling in, in, in sin, in spite of our attitude and mindset toward the Lord, what does he do? He comes to where we are in our fallen, broken, sinful state with none to help. And he comes to seek, he comes to save, he comes to soothe. The Lord Jesus loves the sinner in spite of what he sees. Wasn't a pretty picture, I'm sure, to be beaten and bruised and left half dead. The Samaritan had never seen the man before. The Samaritan had no reason to love this individual. There was no return for his lavish love. The Lord Jesus comes to where we are and he meets us at the point of our need. Notice the cost of Christ. Think of the oil, think of the wine, think of the two pence, think of the time, think of the effort. Think of putting his own life in, in the line. Think of uh, paying the bill at the, at the little inn. You see, it's not begrudging. He is willing to give and to be able to give. God's salvation, of course, while it's free, is not cheap. There's a cost. Think of the carrying of Christ. He put him on the beast. That was like the ambulance of the day. Christ would have walked alongside or the good Samaritan did. He wasn't afraid to be put out. He wasn't afraid to inconvenience himself. He took the man in so that the man could get well. You think of the completeness of Christ here. I will come again. There's a picture of Christ. There's the truth about Jesus revealed in this good Samaritan. And one final thing, and our time is gone. The testing of Jehovah. You see, what did the Lord Jesus ask this man at the end? Now, which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? Was not a probing question. He wanted the man to apply it to himself. And what was his answer? The one who showed mercy. You see, he declassified in his mind who was his neighbor. His attitude was it wasn't a Samaritan, it wasn't a Gentile, and it certainly wasn't a fellow Jew who was a, a, a bad sinner or, or an apostate, and it certainly wasn't a stranger. We don't read what happened next. The Bible's silent. But I believe, as I've said, the Lord Jesus changed it. Not to who is my neighbor, but am I a neighbor like that, even to one who's my enemy? Do I lavish love unconditionally upon mine enemy? You see, I believe that this individual didn't have any understanding 
of his sin. I asked myself, did he seek forgiveness? Did he inquire about repentance? Did he realize who he was speaking to and addressing? Because this man needed bad news before he could get good news. He needed to realize that he was a sinner who needed to repent and he couldn't see it. He was blind. Do I love like this? Do I love God? Do I love my neighbor? And you see, the, the truth was, no, he didn't. And the truth is, for those that say, let's just give money to the poor and feed the hungry and, and clothe those that are, are, are naked, and it's right that we do that. But many do it without realizing that it's nothing to do with love to God or really loving their neighbor. This man needed mercy. He needed help and forgiveness. What did he want? Eternal life. What was he focused on? My doings. He believed in salvation by works, but he didn't see his wretched condition. He didn't see that he didn't love God. And he didn't see that he didn't love his neighbor as himself. And you see, that's true of the liberal. That's true of the modernist. That's true of even many evangelicals and many in the Reformed Church. They don't realize who the neighbor is. Lavishing love on your biggest enemy. Could you do that? How could you do it? You wouldn't do it in your own strength or power. It would have to be by the grace of God. It would have to be because you were born of the Spirit and the love of God was shed abroad in your heart and it was the love of Christ that constrained you to behave in this way. This man never understood his sin. There was no cry for mercy. There was no God be merciful to me, the sinner. Here's the test. Do you really love God and love your neighbor like the law says? Let's confess that you don't. Let's admit that you can't. And let's cry for mercy for a new heart from God so you can begin to live this way. Because there was only one person who ever loved God perfectly with all his heart, soul, mind and strength and that was the Lord Jesus. And there's only one person who ever loved his neighbor as he loved himself and that was the Lord Jesus. Remember the Bible says this, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because at the heart of love is this whole spirit of sacrifice and giving. And Christ demonstrated that and commended that love to us. And that's the test of Jehovah tonight. Apply that to our heart as you think of this, the truth of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for coming.